Welcome to The Rock's podcast for our midweek study through Galatians. False teachers were throwing believers into confusion by perverting the gospel. They taught that salvation depended on our own good works. So the Apostle Paul must remind them that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, and to stand firm in their freedom. Now let's join Pastor Ross in our verse-by-verse study through this most liberating letter. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. We're making progress, people. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to be studying your word. It just, it breathes life into us. It washes us clean. It renews our minds. Lord, it just gives us such hope and such joy. And we're transformed by the power because it didn't originate in any man, but it comes down from heaven. It is God-breathed. And so have your way in our hearts and lives, Lord. Help us to cooperate with your spirit and the word of God in the work that you have prepared for us to do, even tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, don't you hate getting a traffic violation, a traffic ticket? I mean, do you or don't you? Yes or no? Okay, there's a graphic to help uh, stir some of the emotions in you. All right. Well, uh, it must be 20 years ago by now, but uh, you know, coming back from Sacramento on Interstate Interstate 80, if you're traveling uh, west and you want to take the 37 uh, cutoff there, you have to be quick about that. Well, uh, you can overshoot it. And uh, one time I overshot it a little bit and I pulled over to the shoulder and I thought, well, I'm going to just back up. And as if you've never done anything like that and you've done worse. So I was safely backing up, and I was looking, and who knows how far the next overpass would be, right? And so as I was backing up, I did notice a CHP car uh, pull in and stop there, and I think I was still backing up a little bit. Uh, And then he got out, and he came to my window, and he said something funny like, I just love it when they come to me. And so he wrote me a citation for what is called unsafe backing, all right? Now, I thought I was backing up very safely uh, from my point of view, uh, but I can see his point. And yes, uh, there was no arguing that ticket. And uh, yeah, so I still remember. Now, while I may have been cited for unsafe backing, there uh, for uh, backing up on a freeway shoulder and a breakdown lane. The Galatians are getting written up for a spiritual citation by officer, the apostle Paul, for unsafe backing in their Christian lives. 
They want to go back to Old Testament law. They want to go from New Testament to Old Testament covenant. They want to go from free back to slavery. They want to go from spirit back to flesh. And that is unsafe and unsmart. And it makes you unhappy and unproductive. And if that's your hope for getting to heaven, well, it'll make you unsaved as well because uh, we are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone. Two people, thank you for paying attention. Now, sadly, and thank you for that reminder there. Uh, Sadly, precisely what the Hebrew heretics are trying to get these new Christians to do is to um, go backwards. They want them to add to Jesus uh, the Jewish faith. They, they are saying they're, they came from Jerusalem. They're Jews themselves. They profess to know Christ. And they're saying, uh, you need to be Hebrews like we are. You need to go, Jesus is good, but don't forget about Moses. And so uh, they came in with a works-based uh, salvation and uh, came against the Apostle Paul. Now, uh, to bring you up to speed, uh, chapter 3 was all about, thank you for that citation graphically. We don't need that anymore. Thank you so much. So uh, chapter 3 now, uh, we've already been through it last week. Several reasons why it's a bad idea to try to earn your way to heaven by keeping commands called under the law. And so number one, he said, if you want want to earn salvation by keeping commands, you better get busy because it requires, the law requires you to keep all of them, 612, night and day, perfectly 24-7, and that's not going to happen. Number two, he says it's a bad idea because the purpose of the law was not to save us because we've all fallen short of the glory of God, we're all sinners, uh, but to show us that we need Christ, that we are in fact sinners. And thirdly, he said, even the law teaches that God justifies sinners by faith. And it's written in the Old Testament itself, Habakkuk chapter two and verse four. And then he finished up with going to Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish people, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's the number one Jew. And so he uh, went to Genesis 15, verse six, that said, Abraham was saved by grace. And this was before he was circumcised, which was what they were saying that these uh, Gentile Christians had to do in order to be saved. Uh, And Abraham wasn't circumcised and he wasn't under any Mosaic law because it hadn't come for 430 years. So if Abraham, who's the father of the Jews, got saved by faith, uh, then Uh, their argument that they need to get busy and earn their salvation by being good and keeping the law and becoming Jewish is is a total erroneous argument, totally false, uh, completely so. And now Paul's going to go uh, continue on with his argument and reasoning. So it spills over into chapter four and it'll go through the whole chapter, but we'll reach down to about verse twenty. So he says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. 
He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So he's using the analogy of an heir who is a child and he's going to grow up and uh, obtain his inheritance and he's going to make a comparison there uh, to the Galatians and and what they're trying to do. Verse 3, so also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under Jewish law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. So these are beautiful words to take a look at. Note takers, you can um, put number one as uh, becoming heirs. Becoming heirs. So he's saying, now if an heir grows up and he gains legal access to the estate, the property, the funds, right? Would it make any sense for him to go back to the days when access to the estate was denied? He wasn't legally able to access the estate because he wasn't old enough yet. And so he's going to be asking the question of once you've been saved, you are an heir, you've already started to cash some of the checks because you're in Christ and all of these benefits. Do you want to go back to the days when you didn't have access to uh, being an heir and the inheritance that has already started by the Holy Spirit coming on board? So here's the illustration here in the opening verses. He says, take and consider an heir. So back under the Roman Empire and the customs of Rome and the Roman Empire, dad has died and in the will, he left the whole shebang to Junior, all right? So the whole estate belongs to him, right? Even though he's a young boy. But the father, by Roman custom, would set a date. And usually it was when they were 18 in Rome. Uh, But the the father could set any date he pleased. And so on his 18th birthday or so, they would have this big festival. And that is when uh, Rome considered you obligated to uh, obey the laws and do your part as a Roman citizen and all of that. And if you had an inheritance, it was yours to claim. And so... He's saying, until that day, that grade schooler, that high school boy, though he is really kind of lord of the whole estate, he is under subjection to guardians, is your first word there in the text, which the guardian would look after really the boy himself. Uh, Dad is gone, and so it was his job for schooling and training and all of that. The second word in your text, trustees, uh, are the people who would look after the estate and managing the assets and all of that. Paul's point is that he's the son, he's the heir, he's the owner of the whole thing, but uh, is he any better off than a slave when he is a minor, Right, And so here's what he's going to say. Now verse 3 is going to say, we humans who end up coming to Christ are like that heir. So the Old Testament period, he's saying, think of it this way. 
We were minors, okay? We, were, we, we would be believers or under managers and trustees, which he's going to call God's commands, all right? So in verse 3, it says, we were slaves under the basic principles of the world. Now, basic principles of the world, the phrase there means sort of the rudimentary ABCs. And so, well, here's what he's saying. The law... Before we were fully Christians, the law is managing our lives with the rudimentary basic things. Don't do this. Uh, You can do that, but don't do that. Don't do this, this kind of thing. You must do this, you must do that, or you'll be punished. So uh, during this time, it's sort of a loveless, rule-based, empty way of life. Not much joy, control, fun, or life, Even though you're the heir, and even though you have this great destiny waiting for you, you're a minor, you're underneath those trustees. And so this is what he's saying. But on that day, on your 18th birthday, man, everything changes. Those trustees, the managers, all the restrictions. No, you can't. You got to do this. You got to do that. No, you can't spend the money. No, you can't enjoy the benefits. No, 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 you have to listen to me. Oh, now those uh, managers go away, and now you come into the fullness of the inheritance. And, and, and that, in verse 4, that very famous verse, that in the fullness of time, God the Father set the date when Christ was sent forth. It says, born of a woman, but the Greek says, made of a woman, that God himself was made of flesh, And he became the God-man to redeem us from out underneath those managers, the law that uh, kept us in check under the do's and don'ts or be punished and that kind of thing. And so 1,400 years was a long time to set the date, you know? I mean, it's one thing to wait till you're 18, but 1,400 years, man, from the time of the law until Christ was 1,400 years an arduous journey. And so it was a date set by the father. He knew what, when, in the fullness of time. The fullness of time means this, that God had always been working until God saw the the optimal time to send his son to be born of a woman to uh, save us from our sins. Now, why did Jesus come? Why was that the fullness of time when Jesus came? You might be wondering that. Well, let me show you a picture of the Roman Empire at the time that Jesus came. And so the cradle of creation, this is where the majority of people lived, all right? And so at that time, there, thanks to Alexander the Great, it was a well-connected world with these fabulous roads that you can still see today. Um, and so uh, uh, the Greeks really uh, mapped out all of these roads. And, and you know the expression, all roads lead to? Yeah, that's where you get the expression because of the various uh, roads that were built there. And so you could be connected to, from city to city to country to country. Ships had come of age, so there were shipping lanes and, and all sorts of trading and connections and traveling. And then there was something called the Pax Romana. 
And that was the Roman peace, which lasted about, went from Jesus' birth until 180 AD. And it was a real stable time in, in world history. And so you also had language. So track with me here. You had Greek. So uh, Alexander the Great made sure that everybody was going to speak Greek. And so they kept it with Greek and Latin. The whole world pretty much understood Greek. And Greek is just such a beautiful, expressive language. It's the language that God wanted the gospel translated into. Because... Now, the entire really civilized world there uh, spoke it and understood it, and that along with Latin. So in the fullness of time, when mass communication, mass transit, extensive traveling, optimal dissemination of the good news, now was possible in ways formerly impossible, the gospel could make its greatest impact. So in the fullness of time, God said, now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. And so God did two things according to our passage. The first thing, four and five, he said, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might uh, receive the full rights uh, as sons. Now, so the first thing he did was send his son. And so what we needed was a fully righteous human being. So he says that God sent his son from heaven, right, to be born of a woman because we were going to need a, a redeemer who could identify with the human race. And he couldn't have any sin of his own. That's why he had to be the son of God. He had to be spotless. As I've said before, uh, a bankrupt man cannot offer to get you out of financial troubles if he himself is bankrupt. And so a natural-born human being has sins of his own to pay for, so he can't offer to bail anybody else out when he needs to be bailed out. So this is why Jesus had to be more than just a, a perfect man. He was a perfect man. He identified it as us, as us, and he was also perfect God, as the perfect son of God, co-eternal, co-equal to God the Father in every way. And it says he was fully God. Now, you know, the Jews, if you listen to Isaiah, he says, unto us a child is born, made of a woman. Unto us a son is given, the son of God. And so you have the dual nature of Christ, even prophesied back 700 years before Bethlehem happened. And so the second thing he says there in verse six is God sent his spirit. So because you are sons, God sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, why did he give you the spirit? That is, is, is the same thing as saying that you got saved. Why did you get saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and new life? Because why? What does your text say? Because you are because you are sons. Not because you are keeping kosher. Not because, and this is what they were telling these, these Gentile guys to do, just to get circumcised or you're not saved. That's the way you became Jewish officially. But he's saying because you are a son, because you're related to Christ, that God gives you 
his spirit and makes you born again. So it wasn't enough in verse six saying to you, it wasn't enough to pull us out of the death spiral, to, to pull us out of the snatches from the flames. That, that wasn't enough for God. He wanted to change our nature. He wanted to create in us a uh, new life. He wanted to change who we are. So it's not just like, whoo, I'm saved. You know, I've got fire insurance and that's what being a Christian is all about. I'm not going to hell and now I just go on my merry way and live unchanged, right? That's what some people think it is. It's just some stuff in your head and you do some good deeds and voila, you're, you're going to heaven. No. His death redeemed us from the grave and his spirit transforms us from being a sinner into a son or a daughter of his who now doesn't need the guardian or the law because now we want to obey the law. We didn't even have the ability or the desire before, but now because he sent his spirit of Christ, Christ himself comes inside, raises us up to new life. Now, A, we have the desire to keep the commands and we have the ability to keep his commands. So we don't disregard the guardians or the law as something terrible or bad or we don't need that anymore. No, now we fulfill it out of uh, love and out of a response of gratitude to God and because we've been changed, right? And so he said, John, in John 14 on the Last Supper, Jesus said, I'm gonna send you a helper. I'm gonna send you a counselor. I'm gonna send you a comforter. I'm gonna send you an advocate. I'm gonna send you the spirit of truth. He will be with you and in you. And what's the sign of this new life that we as the heirs of God get The sign of this is being able to pray to God and call him Abba, Father. And so what is the sign that you're saved doesn't come with a big, miraculous, uh, wow sign. It comes with this subtle, beautiful uh, inner confirmation of prayer where you cry out to God and call him with, there's a nuance here of dad, daddy, or dad. Do you see? We couldn't do that before. There was a hostile relationship. There was no desire to do God's will. And uh, we, there, we were estranged and distant and rebellious there. And so uh, referring to God as your Abba Father is something the Old Testament believers did not do. And so that would evidence the new status from being under the guardian, under the law, just kind of don't do this, do this, and that frustrating, empty uh, way of life. And now, uh, having the Holy Spirit come within us, we are now sons of God, not sons of the law. Now, here's the deal about sons of the law. Uh, When a Jewish boy or girl is 12, they have a bar mitzvah if you're a boy and a bat mitzvah if you're a girl. And bar means son of, mitzvah means law or commands. And so what Judaism is saying, when you hit 12, you are obligated to keep those 612 laws all the days of your life. And so for me, 
It is no happy occasion. It is doomsday. It is doomsday because the law has what the New Testament calls a ministry of death to it. Now you're obligated. And glad once the party's over, uh, 612 laws or else. That's not a happy thing. And they become sons and daughters of the law. He's saying, do you want to do that? That's what you want to be? When you graduated, you're not a son of the law anymore. The father set a time for you to enter into your uh, inheritance. And you graduated from a son of the law to a son of God. We were in Jerusalem. We were at the bazaar downtown and buying stuff and talking to people. And I got into a conversation with one of the shopkeepers. It's about my age. And he had moved to Jerusalem from Los Angeles, a a Jew. And uh, he was really happy. And he said, what are you doing here? He says, you look like a Jew. And I said, well, there's a good reason for that. And I said, but actually, I'm a Jewish Christian pastor. And he goes, oh, no. Oh, no. He says, brother, listen, come back. He says, come back. He says, you're a son of the law. And so I was thinking, well, our Messiah, our Messiah has made us not sons of the law because we can't even keep the law. I could have said this to him. I might have said this to him. Do you even keep the law? How could you ever keep the law? But the Holy Spirit set a time and a date for us to enter into our inheritance so that we wouldn't be under the law, under the condemnation. And so here these Galatians who got saved by faith, the Holy Spirit came on board. These Jewish guys come from Jerusalem with all of their shawls and their yarmulkes or whatever they're wearing and they're speaking in Hebrew and they bewitched these Gentile people into saying, well, you've got Jesus, that's nice, but let's show you the Old Testament and the menorahs and the Sabbath and the Passover. And they were enamored and they gobbled it all up because it really, legalism has something to it, right? There's pride. It builds up our pride. Look what I can do for God. And it's Strokes our egos. Look at how much better I am than than other people who don't do these things. And it gives you a false sense of uh, security as well because they're like, look at at what I'm doing and not doing. So therefore, my soul is safe. And it's all false. So he says, um, instead of crying out now, I'm a sinner under the guardian, my guardian, the law, Thanks to what Christ has done, we can cry out, Abba, Father, to our God. You see, we've graduated. They want to go back. And he says, no, that's a very unwise thing to do. Uh, Let's continue on. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. He's talking about their Gentile pagan life. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? 
do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So verses 1 through 7 was becoming heirs. And then verses 8 through 11, I'm calling remaining heirs, right? Because, you know, they've got it in reverse. They've got the card. They're looking in the rearview mirror and they have begun backing up and they want to do all these cool Jewish things and think by doing them that they're impressing God. So here comes the appeal for the third time now in your passage. You see him referring to uh, the status of being former slaves. And he wants to drive home how foolish it is to go from freedom in Christ and grace to, to be uh, keeping your salvation through your own legalistic efforts. He's kind of asking the question, would you go from free to slave? Would you make a choice to go from clean to dirty? Would you make a choice to go from rich to broke? Would you make a choice to go from peaceful to chaos? Would you make a choice to go from grace to law? And they were saying, we do. We do. We want to be cool Hebrews. We want to be a cut above our, our, our Gentile Christian uh, friends. And so with a little help from the devil, uh, they want to go under the law, right? And so he's always uh, happy to lend a hand when you want to shipwreck your faith. Amen? Let's take a look at Numbers chapter 11, speaking of uh, God's people that want to go backwards. The rabble, which is a great word. The rabble with the crowd, uh, they are on their way to the promised land. Uh, they've taken a few detours. They're going in circles because of their bad attitudes and their lack of faith. And the rabble, the bad guys with them, began to crave other food than manna. God was feeding them from heaven. It was a pretty good deal. And again, the Israelites started wailing. And only Jews know how to do that really well. And said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish. Oh, we ate in Egypt at no cost <clears throat> in Egypt under the the whips of the taskmasters. We remember that fish at no cost. It was so free. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now we've lost our appetite and all we ever get is this manna. You know, there were a couple of times in the Old Testament when God would say, step away from them because you don't want to be singed. I'm quoting the Bible, folks. And so this is called putting it in reverse, unsafe backing. We want to go back to what? Slavery. They're on their way to freedom. And there are people in this room that are on their way to freedom. You've already tasted a little bit of that. But there's a little tug. Did you want to go back for your garlic and your melons and your cucumbers and all of that? It's in all of our hearts. And all we need is a little, little bewitchment from the evil one, and we put it in reverse. Thank you. We can go back to the verses now. 
So he says, let's talk about the old life. He said, you were pagans, the, the Gentiles in Galatia, modern day Turkey. They were not Jews, most of them in Galatia. And he says, you guys who are all encumbered with rituals and rites, verse 8, you didn't know God. You were serving some myth or something, enslaved by uh, demon. You were demonized. You were in the occult. Uh, you were serving empty superstitions, and you were really bound up in your life, and you did not know God. Now he says, now you know you've got the real deal, right? And he says, now you know God, but rather more theologically accurate, God knows you, right? And here's what he's saying. You're known by God. Here's what it, Paul's emphasizing with that little correction. He's saying, you would know nothing of God if God didn't initiate and find you. So it's not that we first loved God, but that God lo loved us first. He sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for us since 1 John 4 and verse 10, right? So God makes the initiative. So you didn't just find the Lord. You did not find the Lord. You would have never found the Lord unless he knew you beforehand and that he arranged for you to find him. You know, when you know, we play a little uh, Easter egg hunt with our kids, there you go. <laughs> talking about Sundays now. Uh, you know, we would put the, the little egg with the scripture on it or something, whatever we did. And sometimes we put money inside, you know, and we, we played around with them. And they were so, they just thought, look what I found. You know what? We put them in obvious places for them to find. And so they're like, look what I found. Yeah, yeah, you found it. And just like, you know, I found the Lord. And the Lord's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you found me. You're really searching so hard, you know. And so that's what Paul's doing there. Now that you know God, but rather you are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? So weak and miserable principles, he's saying. Question, why would you go back to empty rituals, rules and regulations like the old days? This is a weak and miserable life. You can't eat this. You can't go there. A lot of uh, rituals and, and all kinds of superstitions and beads and washings. And you might as well, if you contemporize it, you know, say seven Hail Marys and 10 Our Fathers mindlessly going down your beads and all of this as if any of that mattered without the heart being involved. And so the specific examples he gives is days. That refers to the Sabbath day with the gabillion restrictions. And then he says months. Uh, they had a new moon celebration, and which Isaiah in chapter 1 ridicules. Uh, then seasons would be like tabernacles and the Feast of Passover because it was more than one day and they had extended holidays. And he says years, maybe the Jubilee, every 50 years there was a holy convocation. And they thought that these things uh, in Christ, even though they all pointed to Christ and Christ fulfilled them by his person and work his death and resurrection. They thought by keeping those things, they were pleasing God and that that was how they would be saved. And he says, man. And here's the shocking thing about that verse for me. 
is that Paul regards observing Jewish rituals and days to save you on the same level as observing pagan rituals and days to save you. He's saying, do you remember when you guys were pagans and you were under superstitions and you were going to the shrines and you were clapping three times and you did this and you didn't eat this and you had all of this rigmarole, right? And he's going, you're going back to the same nonsense, only it's got a Jewish flavor. That's shocking to me that he could compare Passover as empty and useless if you think it's going to save you as a pagan festival thinking the pagan thing will save you. Same kind of misery, same kind of weakness is what he's saying. He's saying, and then he closes this thought out with verse 11 and he says, my biggest fear is that all my effort with you over the years has been a colossal waste of time. And yes, when people we pour our hearts and lives and souls into begin to waver and stray, we are all tempted to wonder, was all that love and care, was all those sermons, were all those devotionals at the family table was all of that anguish of love and self-sacrifice and prayer, was it just all for nothing? He says, I, that's my fear. Moving on. All right, we're going to go down to verse 20. All right, so we'll read through, and that's where we'll pause for tonight. Now I plead with you, I beg with you, brothers, Become like me, for I became like you. Remember when we met? Now, you have done me no wrong. I'm not offended. Verse 13. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Verse 14. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What happened? What happened to all of that? What happened to your joy? I could swear on oath that if you could have, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? He goes on. Those people, those heretics, they're zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. Verse 19, my dear children for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. So we'll go back to the first section there. So note takers, number three, finally, Paul's uh, perplexity. Paul's perplexity. And now we're going to begin with Paul's plea. He says, I'm begging you. Let's go back to the beginning. He's, here's the Holy Spirit's going to try to... to reestablish the trust and the bond and the love so that they will listen to his wisdom now because they have sort of uh, have a relational, um, you know, 
parting of the ways because of these false teachers. And so Paul's plea, I'm begging you. He says, he's starting out there in verse 12, become as I in the Greek. This is what it says. Become as I for I as you. Now here's what he means by that. He's saying, become like me, a Christian who came out of all of that Jewish rituals and the law. Become like me. Leave the law behind and your legalistic ways and enjoy the freedom and the love of God. Be set free. Become like me. And he says, because uh, for I became like you. Do you remember that bond? And here's what he means by that. Paul's strategy was to build bridges with people, to be um, relatable to people. And so, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says that uh, to the Jew, he was like a Jew, even though, he, you know, he was free from the law. If you, if you were under the law, he would, he would be under the law to win you. So he'd say, if you're, not with, if you're not under the law, he became like one not under the law. But then he says, but of course, I'm always under Christ's law. His point is, is I've become all things to all men so that I might win them. So what he's saying is, do you remember when we first met? We had this bond. And he says, I, I ate what you ate. I lived with you. I learned a few phrases from the Lyconian uh, language. The Lystra, uh, Lystra, they spoke Lyconian. And so I, he's saying, listen, we, we had a real connection here. We sang songs. We played uh, your games. I learned your customs, right? And Oh, nothing's changed. So verse 12b, he's saying, that was a beautiful time and you've done me no wrong. Here's what he means by that. He's saying, I'm not offended by you. Nothing's changed on my end. I don't, he's saying, I'm perplexed. I don't know what happened. I'm your founding pastor. I led you to the Lord. You got filled with the Holy Spirit. These dudes came in, slandered me, and bewitched you with, oh, you got to get back to your Hebrew roots. And then now suddenly, I'm the bad guy in the story. I'm perplexed. What happened? So he's starting to go back and saying, do you remember when we met? You know, become like me because I became like you. And now he's saying, and, and on my end, I'm not thinking that you guys did anything wrong. I'm not offended. On the contrary, nothing's changed. God knit our hearts together. And now he describes in 13 through 15 in your text how they met Paul was sick. And, and the book of Acts doesn't tell us exactly where this happened, but it looks like it might have happened uh, on the first missionary journey when John Mark left he, they're on the coast, and Paul may have gotten malaria, and he may have gone up into Galatia to get some relief because he says they welcomed him, right? So he's saying, now, as you remember, it was a pretty serious deal because he said it was a trial to you. So he gets into one of their villages. He's preaching the gospel, but he's sick. He has a high fever or something. He has something wrong with his eyes. Maybe he has malaria, but... Whatever it is, it's unattractive and it's a lot of work to help him. So maybe he can't see, he needs to be led around. He can't feed and care for himself. And he says, you, you didn't make fun of me. That's the word, scorn. You didn't resent me, 
but you welcomed me like I was some sort of angel. Now, a lot of scholars say, you know, he's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. He may have laid his hands, sick as he was, on other people, and they're recovering. Maybe a demon came out of somebody like it would happen in the book of Acts with him. And then this brought such a awe and a reverence for him that they received him like he was Christ himself. And so Paul's perplexed. He says, I swear, verse 15, you would have ripped out your own eyes and given them to me if you could have. No, commentators say two things here. Either that's just an expression, and it could be an expression, just to say you would have, you would have done whatever it took to to get me well, or that uh, part of his sickness and his thorn in the flesh was some kind of ugly, ugly infection in the eyes uh, related to when he found the Lord and the Lord found him. Remember, something like scales fell off of his eyes and that maybe from then on, he had a constant reminder of that conversion and his old life and how much he needed the Lord. And so possibly that was going on. He said, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. You received me like I was some sort of angel. Uh, You cared for me. You nursed me back to health. Question, what happened in your text? What happened to the joy? Verse 15, that word means blessedness. It can also mean happiness. What happened? I'll tell you exactly what happened. The devil saw exactly this beautiful thing happening there in the region of Galatia, came in and brought his workers. He always has somebody who will come in and do his work and came in and slandered uh, the apostle Paul and brought in heresy and tried to derail these dear Christians, that's what happened, Paul. Paul kind of knows what happened. He's just trying to get them to think, really. I mean, what happened? Then he says, "You have now in verse 16, you regard me as the bad guy? And so I'm the enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Yeah, Paul, <laughs> it happens. It happens. Suddenly the person who's speaking the truth is the bad guy. And the liars are the one who really accept me for who I am and truly are my real friends. But that's exactly how it happened 2,000 years ago. And it happens exactly that way today. And so we have to be aware of that. So he says, let me tell you who the real bad guys are. Verse 17, so we're finishing up now. A couple things about your new wannabe pastors He says, first, they're zealous for you. Lenski, the commentator, has there. They are courting you. All right, verse 17. They make much of you. That's the ESV. Or they're lavishing attention on you. And Stott comes out with it and just says they're flattering you. That's what Paul is saying. And Proverbs says about a flatterer that as they're schmoozing you, they're laying a trap, a a net in front of you because they're only doing that to get what they want from you. And so that's Paul's point. 
is, is that they're zealous for you. They're, they have warm fuzzies for you. They're telling you everything you want to hear. You're amazing. You're so gifted. Oh, you know, we've never met anybody like you guys. And all of that nonsense. And he says, truth be told, here are the motives. Verse 17, he says, all the fuss is not for good. It's all self-serving. And then verse 17, he just comes out really bluntly and says, uh, they want you to dump us and love them instead. The word there is excited for to be devoted to somebody, to be loyal to somebody, uh, and they want to get in between that. And one commentator said, oh, and how quickly the flattery will change. And suddenly the tables will be turned that once the Galatians gave them what the false teachers wanted, suddenly they'll be noticing more pitches for money, you know, and, and, and more control and less kind words and all of that. And so verse 18, he says, zeal and warm fuzzies and all of that, it's a good thing. He says, if it's directed in the right way and for the right purpose. So in a church where there's discipleship and the Holy Spirit and the lives are being changed and marriages are being strengthened and people are coming out of all kinds of terrible things and maybe somebody gets a second chance at life and these kinds of things happen, there's loyalty, there's love. There's zeal for one another. The word is like warm fuzzies. We just, just, just love each other. We adore one another and our leaders as well. He says, nothing wrong with that. If it's born out of mission and evangelism and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but that's not what they're doing. They're, they're faking it. They're faking it and so that they can get something out of you. And he says, you know, that's what I remember, but he said that when I was with you, verse 18, uh, but now that I'm absent from you, there's none of the warm fuzzies. When I was with you, it was, oh, Paul, this and Paul, that. And Paul's perplexed, like, what changed? It would be nice if you were warm fuzzies when I'm absent as well in your verse there, 18. And now he says, he comes to the main point there in verse 19. He says, uh, here's what they're really like. And the, uh, these intruders, these Hebrew heretics, they're self-serving and they're disingenuous. Uh, but he closes out with these thoughts. Uh, he says, uh, in emotional words there in your text in verse 19, he says... Uh, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, Christ is formed in you is really an interesting way of putting, uh, becoming a Christian, or he, what he's saying is to make sure that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is, is, is whole in you, that you're well established in Christ, right? And so he's saying um, in the same way, and he's using an analogy of a woman who goes through an intense labor uh, before that new life happens. He's saying, when I was with you, it was the anguish of praying and planting and preaching and teaching and doing life together and just how, and, and all of this pain and anguish. And then, boom, you guys got saved. 
only had a whole church of newborn babies. What perplexes him is the word again. Why am I in travail again? Why am I planting seeds again? Was Christ formed in you? How can Christ be formed in you twice? How can a woman go into labor twice? That's what he's saying. He said, did you get saved or not? Because if you got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, this truly would not be happening. You see, that's what he's saying. And he's saying, finishing up in verse 20, he says, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. In other words, maybe if I was with you, you'd be, I could see your expressions. You'd be, you'd be saying, oh, no, 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 no. And correct me or, you know, but I can't hear you. I can't see your faces. So I'm just assuming it is a way and I'm, I, I'm on fire and I'm, I'm, I'm hurt and I've got turmoil and I'm perplexed. But I wish I could change all of that if I was with you. And perhaps when he goes to see them, things will be different and he can change his tone. And he says, I'm just perplexed. And so he kind of ends it there with being perplexed and uh, wishing that he could change his tone. Now he's going to pick up the argument again. He's going to go back to it and start hammering them and saying, okay, you guys, you wish to be under the law. Okay, let's do this. And he's trying to convince them to uh, forsake that way of thinking because it's not going to be helpful at all. It's going to shipwreck their faith. So while it's true, and we'll close out with this, and Ben, you can come and play some chords for us. While we are often perplexed and amazed when we see Christians wandering from the faith or living unwise lives, or we can just see them getting set up for a big fall, we are perplexed. It's like, dude, I thought you were saved, you know? Or the least likely people, now that I'm getting older, there's a lot of people I've known through the years who aren't walking with the Lord at all, who were in ministry. And it's perplexing. It's like, I can't figure it out. What happened? I would never believe that of that person. But at the same time, you're perplexed about those kinds of situations. You're overjoyed and comforted at the Timothys. Now, Timothy, where is Timothy from? Starts with the letter G. Galatia. Yeah. He's from Lystra area there. Derby right in there. That's Galatia. And so Paul is comforted and, and, and more so, there's so many reasons to be encouraged with Luke and the loyalty of Silas and, and all of these men who gathered around and got to concentrate on those who were excelling in the faith and, and watching people come to new life and leave the wrath of God and eternal condemnation and come to know Christ and these are things that Paul really took a lot of joy and delight. And so did John. He said, there's no greater joy than when my children are walking in the truth, meaning those who we are discipling and caring for in the faith. Paul didn't have that joy with the Galatians right now 
because they weren't walking in the truth. And what I'd like to say is it is a great blessing to the people who have poured into you for you to remain faithful and walk in the truth. And one of the motivations in all of our hearts should be to bring joy to those who have at great cost to themselves have poured into our spiritual lives. And we can thank God and Christ and all those people who have influenced us by what? (laughs) By straight and narrow path and walking in the truth and staying living in the light. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. Now, Father, we're so grateful for these truths that set our hearts free. And we pray, God, tonight that you would bless them to our hearts and lives, that we would put them into practice and be blessed and free us up, Lord, and speak to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.